This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swan's Crossing! This is a real bummer of a Friday episode. <laughs> we have, we have, after this episode, we have only three Friday episodes left. Oh. And I have been, like, we have had towers falling. Not like the, not like the Twin Towers, but <laughs> it's not the same. Um, we've had, uh, we've had kidnappings. And the ending of this Friday episode is terrible. <laughs> Is it not the worst? Yes. It's not, yeah, it's definitely not the most exciting Friday episode, for sure. Very, very upset. I want to reassure you, next Friday episode is a real baller. Okay, great. That's great. great. I mean, we've had cake explosions. (laughs) We've had it all. Uh, Well, this has got to grow up sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. We watched episode 50, guys. It was not great. No! Very upsetting. (laughs) Not what we come to expect from a Friday episode of Swan's Crossing. (laughs) This whole week has been lackluster. I mean, it's been a lot of exposition, plotting. We did get a new set, you know, this week. But that's about it. Yeah, it's... For an episode that features somebody being in a coma, it was surprisingly lame. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into it. Okay. Uh, predictions. Predictions. You predicted Sydney would give Mila JT's poem saying it was from her secret admirer. Right on. Crushed it. JT and Neil would keep working, unaware that they were up under observation from Dr. FBI, and the doctor might start to figure out that the kids are Professor Van. I mean, yeah, that was mostly half. Correct. I was half right. Yeah. I'll give myself 50% of a point. Okay. Uh, Glory would find out that Mila got one of JT's poems and she would be heartbroken. That would start the breakup that leads to JT splitting up with Mila in season two. You mean Glory? Uh, JT splitting up with Glory for Mila in season two. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you predicted we would find out where Callie and Saja went. I mean, kinda? Kinda. (laughs) Sort of. And no more Swan's soda shop scenes until the hospital is done. And that is correct. Let's talk about the thumbnail. Yeah, go into that thumbnail. We've got a close-up on Sydney, camera left, Mila leaning over the back of the fainting couch in her room behind her. Sydney has that dead-eyed expression that can only mean that she's doing something for Garrett under duress. (laughs) And Mila's mouth is half open as she has this impish glee in her eyes. She's also wearing an incredibly bright pink t-shirt, which really pops even in this already garishly pink room. It does. When we got to the scene in Mila's room... I, I actually kind of did a double take and I was like, wait, did they change something about the set? It looks pinker. It was just Mila's insanely pink shirt. It's incredibly pink. I think we often forget how intensely colored things were back in the early 90s. That was a thing where they would just yeah. try to amp up color yep. as much as possible. I had some pretty incredible like neon yellow clothing oh, yeah. in the 90s. Oh yeah. I was into hot pink back then. Nice. Folks, this has got to clean up sometime. <laughs> 
the podcast within the podcast where we talk about the commercials on ShoutFactory.tv. Returning this week is our favorite brand of hot sauce, Texas Pete's. The commercial featuring a John Williams-esque score and pictures of happy people making their food spicier. Now you may ask, Nathan, why are you talking about this commercial again? Didn't we already cover the woman sitting in her Jeep on a scenic vista, popping open the glove box to grab a bottle of Texas Pete's for her taco? Didn't we already deep dive into the gorgeous couple canoodling in the food tent during a summer downpour and his truly unexpected attraction after discovering the exorbitant amount of hot sauce she wants on her burrito? Well, yes we did. But we forgot about the man at the front of this commercial, the vanguard, of, if you will, of this epic advertisement for pepper-based products. This is a bearded man, a simple man, a man at the grill. And is he reaching for hot sauce on the grill? Of course not. He's reaching for a carton of, and I didn't know this was a thing before, Texas Pete's Dust. <laughs> it is a cayenne-based dry rub product for grilling that is, to quote Texas Pete's own website, the perfect amount of heat if you want the sizzle without the sauce. Smile on, bearded grill master. I salute you. This has been Gotta Clean Up Sometime. Bravo. We should be winning Emmys for this one. <laughs> What a, a podcaster. Webby's, yes. I think it's some... No, it's not Webby's. What is it? There's, it there is, are podcast awards. There, There is Webby's for podcasts. Mm. I know somebody who won one. Okay, but, great. <laughs> but I don't know what else. Maybe we should create our own category of awards for the brilliance that is this show. <laughs> we open on the booth porch. Callie and Glory are enjoying some downtime with a little toast to, as Callie puts it, the three G's. Glorious, glorious Glemonade. Yep. There's nothing better for a summer night. The filter they're using on the camera in this scene is a garish, horrific yellow. It, it, I suppose it is supposed to look dusky, but everyone just looks severely jaundiced. <laughs> it's a terrible lighting situation. I think it's supposed to be sunset. I don't yeah. know. It's bad. They do actually drink whatever's in their glasses. So, I mean, I don't know if it's actually Glemonade. It might be Glenny D. <laughs> that's my rap name. That, Glenny D. <laughs> Glory says something that's uh, better than Lemonade is JT's new poem. Ugh. Somehow I doubt that. Yeah, but of course we're going to hear it. And the sax underscore swells as she reads about being protected from searing heat. Ugh. Ugh. We cut to Mila's bedroom, which, as we mentioned before, feels more intensely pink than it really is. Yep. Mila is sharing the poem her secret admirer sent. She says, you must hear it. And Sydney, like anyone who is about to be read a poem, says, must I? <laughs> this is how I feel 90% of the time when someone wants to read a poem. I, I feel like, as an author, do you not feel like 90% of the time, must I, when anybody wants to read anything to you? Yes. Yeah, that's what yes. I figured. Uh, I Just for full disclosure, <laughs> I am part of a weekly writer's group that focuses on poetry. And I still, I go to this meeting every Thursday on Zoom, and I just think, must I? Must I? <laughs> I this is, how I, this is how I feel when people tell me, I've got an idea for a play. Oh, God. <laughs> the one that really pisses me off, let me pass this along to all 50 of our unique listeners. Um, because you might think someday if you meet a writer, it's a great idea to tell them, I have an idea for a book. You can just have it as mm. if you're doing us a favor. Right. 
do not do this. We universally fucking hate it when people do this. We'll be polite to your face, but inside we're seething and we want to kill you. <laughs> we already have more ideas than we will ever get to write in our own lifetimes. We have to choose which ones to prioritize. And also, your idea for a book is not as good as you think it is. Wow. Just FYI. I just... Hey, 50 unique listeners. <laughs> I don't... I, Libby only speaks for 50% of this podcast. Let's say 75% given the amount of work that she does. <laughs> but 25% of this podcast thinks your idea is great and you should definitely tell Libby about it. No, no. <laughs> what, I, what I always say to people is, wow, that's a really interesting idea. You should write it. Mm. And then they're like, no, 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 I'm not a writer. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to write your idea. Yeah. Please yeah. take a hike. Oh my gosh. Uh, anyway. <laughs> that was a fun digression. Oh, that was a fun digression. Mila sounds hurt for a nanosecond, but then Sydney points out that her secret admirer probably wanted the poem to be a secret. Yeah. And Mila insists, and she reads off the exact same poem that JT wrote for Glory. And as as she is reading it, we get this split screen, this faded split screen between Mila and Glory reading the same poem, just to make sure that we get it. <laughs> it is the same poem. It's pretty great. The The poem ends with, The darkest clouds just disappear without a trace, and the sky is the bluest shade of blue, and we crossfade into an entirely blue surface. I, I took that exact same note because it is so weird. <laughs> it is weird. I'm not even sure what it is. It's like a book or something leaned up the back, leaned up against the back of Neil's computer, right? Yeah, so the camera kind of pulls back and and it's a book that's like set up sort of on its pages like like it's a tent behind Neil's computer. Like no one would put a book there in that position. It's purely just to get this corny effect. Can we also talk about how in in the 90s, computers were way too heavy to set on your bed. Oh my god. Like, he's got this computer set up on his hospital bed. <laughs> These yeah. things were so heavy. So heavy. They were huge. There were no laptops back then. I mean, I'm sure somebody was probably developing a laptop in 1992, but they were enormous anyway. I remember oh, this, yeah. this weird guy in high school in, like, probably 1995 or 96 had a laptop that he was very proud of, and he brought it to school all the time to show it off. And it was gigantic. And also so heavy. So heavy. The batteries were insanely heavy. They were. I mean, I have a fairly heavy laptop now, and it's like a three-year-old MacBook Pro model, and it's still kind of heavy. But, like, yeah, back then, Oof. 30 years ago... It would anyway, have weighed 50 pounds. You couldn't put your you couldn't put your computer on your bed. That's no, insane. No. Um, the boys have a moment of mathematical triumph. They're both feeling good about being back on the project together, but they agree that this time they're going to keep Glory out of it because whoever snatched her was really after them. Neil promises that he's it's just you, him, JT, and the wall from now on. And as he says wall, we cut up to what I first thought was a video camera in their room because it's got a blinking red light on it. No, it's and terrible. I was like, who... Like, what monster put a video camera in a teenage boy's bedroom? No, yeah. thank you. It also... Gross. It, it looks like somebody rigged up a smoke alarm with a video camera. Yeah. It's so weird. But I, it took me a while to figure out that this is the perimeter alert system they set up by rigging up an EKG machine. Yeah. So, the alarm goes off, 
JT yells to hit the macro key. God, do you remember the macro key? I remember the macro keys. <laughs> there were many keys, as I recall, that could macro. Oh, no, no, no. This was before the age of plural macro keys, that keys that could macro, when there was oh, just okay. one macro function this. on old-ass computers. Okay, let's take a walk down memory lane, all of our middle-aged listeners, because we know nobody younger than us is listening to this podcast. Macro keys, if you don't remember... You could, uh, it was like a primitive way of programming certain functions into a computer. So you could teach your computer how to do something. And then if you hit the macro key, it would just run that function over and over and over again until you told it to stop. Usually we would use this to make computers in the technology lab in eighth grade print out endless designs of ASCII dicks. (laughs) And it would make Mr. Parks, our technology teacher, very angry. Mr. Parks believed that the insidious influence of the band Nirvana was behind all of our technological hijinks. <laughs> Wherever he is now, I hope he's doing great. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> hilarious. How, like, one dick per sheet? Yeah, but, but like, ASCII, so it's made out of little characters. Right. Like, you yeah. draw a shape with a bunch of other little characters. Yeah, you would just print out ASCII dicks. We'd that's... be like, haha, macro. We would just keep going <laughs> until somebody could get it to stop. That's amazing. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> The suspicious FBI doctor comes in. Neil and JT pretend like they're playing a computer game. And there's... <laughs> I love this moment because Dr. FBI walks in. And there are books strewn everywhere. All of these science books. And you would think that they were doing science. But all of the sounds coming from the computer are these like sci-fi game sounds. <laughs> so they're like pretending that they've been in here playing a sci-fi game. When, when in fact there's like physics and chemistry books all over the bed. Right, great disguise. Yeah, well done, guys. They're so disorganized that I put in my notes, these boys got to get some trapper keepers or something. Then I got curious, and I went to eBay and looked up trapper keepers. Y'all, vintage trapper keepers are selling for like two, three hundred bucks now. Ew. Why? Who? No. What kind of middle-aged adult is like, you know what I want? That trapper keeper I had in fourth grade. Well, there's a lot of things that middle-aged adults want back from their childhood. That's true. That's why, I mean, that's why nobody makes new TV shows anymore. <laughs> Stranger Things. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, Dr. FBI kicks out JT because vi- visiting hours are over. Uh, and essentially, like, they've turned this hospital room into their clubhouse, which I think is hilarious. But JT takes off with cutovers. He enters the lobby of the hospital, um, and he leaves. And Captain Baldy comes in wearing an operating gown, mask, and the Ninja Turtle band-aids <laughs> on his head. Fantastic. I love it so much. Yeah, my notes say he's wearing a face mask like he's trying not to catch COVID. Yep. <laughs> uh, we The suspicious music plays. We cut to the theme song. And I was worried because it was the long version, <laughs> and this is a Friday episode. And I was right. <laughs> When we come back from the theme song, we have an extreme close-up on Glory's adorable googly eyes as she daydreams about JT. Ugh. The ghastly filter, fortunately, is gone. Yeah, it's night now. We're lit for a night scene. She's daydreaming about JT, and Callie's just glad his poetry has improved since his earlier works. (laughs) So am I. Mm. That one about the dead lizard was a real banger. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, nothing's gonna beat Rocket to Paradise. Uh, she, Callie asks Glory if she has ever loved anyone before, and Glory gets all defensive and is like, what makes you think I love JT? Do you remember being, like, roughly that age, early teens, and being terrified that somebody else would find out that you, like, had a crush on somebody or were in love with someone else? Early teens? This lasted well into my 20s. (laughs) 
I love that. I mean, I here you got to remember. I grew up in an extremely conservative household, oh, yeah, okay. and like relationships were the big like no no. <laughs> Jeez Louise, yeah. that's gonna make you sin. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Oh, man. It's so funny, though, at that age, how teenagers are just like, they don't want anyone to know that they like someone. Well, there is there is something... I mean, the thing I remember about middle and early high school was that any hint of vulnerability uh, was something that could be used by someone else to make you feel like shit. Uh, that's a good point. Right? Yeah. Okay. Like, we were all so self-obsessed during that time because, we like, you don't know anything and everything makes you feel worse. Right? Yeah, that's true. Boy. <laughs> Glory's a little concerned. She wants to know, if you say I love you to someone, does that mean you're making a commitment? Yes, you're married now, yep, Glory. Yeah, that's it. You're done. <laughs> you're done. Lock it in. Uh, Callie admits that she's never told anyone that she loves them but her father. And I love this moment where Glory, who seems a lot younger than Callie, goes, you will someday. <laughs> Trust me. It just happens. Yeah. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Then Glory tries to articulate what she loves about JT, but she gets all tongue-tied and can't explain it, and it's very cute. Yeah, Callie coaches her through it, and, and, and Glory settles on the fact that JT is gentle. And then they clink their glasses of lemonade and laugh. Ugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember who said it, but somebody says, "I don't know who." No, it's it's Callie. Uh, they're talking about JT's gentleness, and she goes, "I know who brings it out of him." I think a guy shows his truest side when he's around a girl that he likes. And I was like, not at that age, you idiot. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. Glory tries to make Callie figure out what kind of traits she, Callie, brings out of guys. But before Callie can say anything, Jimmy shows up wearing an old chambray shirt that has had the sleeves ripped off. So it's kind of like a weird long vest <laughs> and a white t-shirt underneath with the sleeves rolled up to display his guns. Right. And uh, she, he essentially, like, uh, grabs Callie out of the chair and just, like, hauls her off. Yes, and as they run off, Callie says to Glory, The Beast! <laughs> that's what she brings out of dudes. Okay. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Grody. Uh, we cut to Mila's room, where Sydney has just delivered a fresh box of candy to Mila. We have to talk about the penguin in the Paddington hat. You texted me about this penguin. I am obsessed. <laughs> I don't I don't know that we've seen it before, because I feel like if we had, we definitely would have talked about it. Or if we've seen the penguin before, it has not had the hat on. This is a, I want to say it's maybe two and a half, three feet tall. Like, bit larger than life penguin with a little Paddington Bear hat on it. And this is the cutest damn thing in this whole room. It is. Probably because it's not pink. And it feels like something that would actually be in a real teenager's room, too. Yeah. Like, it works. It's great. And, it, and I think I'm like 99% sure it's the first time we have seen the penguin at all, let alone with the hat. I would trust you because you have seen this show <laughs> so many times. Um, I just, I was absolutely, like, I, 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 I like, the, it, the camera doesn't linger on it very long, but I, like, rewound it and I was like, show me the penguin again. <laughs> I want to see that penguin. I wanted to see the penguin. <laughs> Give me the penguin. Okay. Mila's trying to get details about who the secret admirer is, but Sydney won't tell. However... Mila asks her a bunch of questions about her secret admirer's many traits, like whether he's generous and cute and has wheels. Right? 
Uh, Sydney keeps answering these very vaguely, which definitely the the one thing the one thing that she says is that he's definitely nothing like Billy Gunn, and I would have to say, not a hundred percent true. Not no. I mean, nothing like Billy Gunn in the sense that he doesn't wear a wicker wreath around his neck and and attempt to do creepy th- well no Garrett does attempt to do creepy things to girls yeah yeah so I mean he's not in a rock band he's not in a rock band <laughs> and he doesn't have a photo of Princess Diana on the one wall not that home. we know of we've never You're seen right. Garrett's bedroom you, thank god <laughs> I would expect that is just papered with like like dead animals like oh. photos of dead animals Garrett's everywhere. bedroom 100% is full like the walls are plastered with Pictures of women he's ripped out of magazines, but the eyes are blacked out. Yep. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yep. definitely. Gah. Sydney gets Mila to look more closely at the paper the poem is written on. It says, Chandler. Folks, this was before Friends, so I don't know who came up with the name Chandler or where, but, but it's great. Here we are. Uh, this is a person Mila's never heard of, and she wants to meet him, but Sydney reminds Mila that she is grounded and sealed into the room. <laughs> like a tomb. <laughs> So Mila says, if Chandler will, uh, Mila says that Chandler will find a way to see her if he's half as romantic as Sydney says he is. And Sydney goes, right. <laughs> and we cut, we cut to Captain Baldy creeping into Neil's room at the hospital with a flashlight. Out in the lobby, Neil seems to be coming back from the bathroom or something in his robe. And he pulls a candy bar out of his pocket. He, like, I love this moment because he pulls this candy bar out of his pocket, looks extremely pleased with himself <laughs> over it, and then he strikes a pose at the door to his room with, like, one hand on the handle, posing with this candy bar, and just stands there. He does not go in. He's just like, here I am! Yep, I know <laughs> that this is where we're cutting to the next scene. <laughs> so good. I don't need the illusion of reality. Who does? Not in this show. <laughs> we cut to the tool and die where Callie and Jimmy are sneaking in with a flashlight. There's a lot of flashlights in this episode. Flashlight heavy up. Jimmy seems to be searching for something, uh, but is explaining nothing as Callie is asking him a lot of questions, as a lady might do, given that a man has dragged her out of her chair and taken her to a dark shop in the middle of the night. Right. Uh, Callie finally says, she's like, Jimmy, what's going on? Tell me, tell me what you, what, you know, what are you holding back? And she finally says, Jimmy, let me have it. Which inspires him to grab her face and move in to kiss her. I, at this point, I texted you that the title of this episode should be Jimmy Misreads the Moment. Not a bad title. Going back real quick, do you remember those incredibly cheap plastic flashlights from the 90s? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that is what he... It is literally just a sheath of plastic around batteries with the flimsiest, like, those switches on them broke almost immediately. Those things were terrible. For sure. They were worth nothing. Yeah. Before their lips can meet, Saja makes a karate noise and comes flying in through the shop door in full ninja regalia. Cut to commercial. Yes. When we come back from commercial, Callie asks what he's doing there. He returns the question and then asks, and why are the lights out? And as the racist Asian string plucks sound, Saja's eyes flit back and forth between them to the music. As he realizes what he walked in on. He gets a little mad because he's been out all night in his ninja gear trying to 
track down the great Mamba Jamba while these two are just hiding out in the shop getting handsy. Canoodling. <laughs> Listen, all I'm going to say is that any other normal person in this situation would go, oh shit, and just leave. <laughs> just leave, Saja. What is wrong with you? Callie tries again to get Jimmy to spill the beans on whatever information he has. Jimmy says a bunch of circuitous nonsense, and Sally, uh, Sally, and Callie gets impatient with him, and then Barrick shows up! He swings wide the door, flips the lights on, and says, isn't this a cozy little group here? Busted! Uh, we cut over to Garrett uh, at No Man's Land. Remember this set? It's been a while. Yeah, we haven't seen in a, in quite some time. Uh, through the hole in the wall, oh sweet, oh lovely wall... <laughs> Uh, Sydney is filling him in on the poem, the chocolates, everything. That was a little Midsummer Night's Dream reference for all of you folks out there. Uh, I know there's a huge, like, crossover in our Venn diagram between listeners of this show and fans of William Shakespeare. Obviously. I mean, right. we have so much in common. Exactly. Um, by the way, we, we make that same fucking reference every time we see the wall set, so... Oh, sweet. Oh, lovely wall. <laughs> Garrett is looking... Very smug and pleased with himself over how well things are going with the whole Mila plot. And uh, Sydney is telling him everything Mila likes about Chandler. She says the thing Mila likes the most about Chandler is his poetry. This is a problem, because neither neither Sydney nor Garrett can write poetry. As we will soon find out. Yeah. But Mila wants more poetry. So Garrett says, I'm going to have to get out my rhyming dictionary. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Rhyming dictionary. I hate that so much. Uh, so, uh, Sydney hasn't figured out how to get Mila more poetry or to prove that Chandler is, in fact, real. But Garrett encourages her that by promising that she will get the birth certificate when this is done. Ah, the birth certificate. Our ever-present MacGuffin. This is the first time that he has actually, like, said, you're going to get this when this whole thing is over. Yeah. You know, it, rather than just, like, yeah, anyway. Garrett picks a flower from the ground and begins doing the she loves me, she loves me not thing with its petals. Chucking the petals at Sydney every time he pulls one off. Sydney looks very annoyed. She stomps off, promising to call him back later. He, as usual, seems extremely pleased with himself. <laughs> Cut to the hospital. Neil is where we last left him, posing triumphantly with his Kit Kat. He starts to head back through the door, but Dr. FBI guy appears and asks him why he's wandering around. Apparently, Neil has a reputation as being the worst patient on the floor. It's not surprising after seeing the absolute wreck his room is. Yeah. Uh, they walk into Neil's darkened room. The serial killer music plays. Neil jumps into the bed and fiddles with the controls as he takes a bite of his candy bar before discovering to his chagrin, it has no nuts. <laughs> he claims he has to go back to the snack-o-matic to get the correct candy bar. Dr. FBI guy agrees to accompany him and then see him safely back into bed. And then the camera pans down to where Dr. Baldy is hidden <laughs> under the bed. And he comes out muttering in his weird language. We cut over to Sydney at home trying to write poetry on a notepad. She is truly terrible at this and decides that it's the paper's fault, so she tears a bit of wallpaper off the wall and starts writing on the back of it. She's trying to find a word that rhymes with desperation. Maybe just change desperation to something else if you can't find a suitable word to rhyme with it. Or, you know, don't use rhyme because rhyme is cheesy as hell outside the context of a well-constructed sonnet or like a villanelle or something. <laughs> 
But what do I know? I'm just a professional writer. Professional word person. Just as Sydney reaches the peak of her annoyance, she looks out the window at the booth house and finds the word inspiration. And she does look a little happier, but we don't know why, because we don't see what inspired her. We cut to commercial and are back at the tool and die with Beric interrogating the three teenagers. Uh, we, I, I don't know about you, but this was my first understanding that Beric lives at the shop. It's mentioned briefly, like, the first time he shows up, that there's an apartment above the shop. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he, he feels that their uh, coming in here in the middle of the night is a violation of his living room. <laughs> and his specific line that I love is, My home is any place I hang my helmet. Okay, Barrett. All right. Uh, Callie snatches up a piece of engine like she's about to throw it. Barrett takes it back from her and then yells at everyone to GTFO. Uh, they, they head just outside... And Callie suggests a soda at the shop, but Jimmy told Ralph he'd check his jet ski. Apparently it's temperamental. I feel like this is, like, this feels like an excuse for Jimmy to get out of this. Yeah. I don't, like, this did not feel real. Why are you working on Ralph's jet ski in the middle of the night? Or at least, yeah, why doesn't anybody call him out on that? Because it's summer, it's dark out, so it's got to be like 11 p.m., right? Right. So he's not going to change some fucking spark plugs at 11.30 in the Rutledge garage? Right. Come on. Jimmy takes off. Callie decides she now doesn't want to go to the show shop because Jimmy's no longer going. Uh, but is going to go back into the tool and die where they just got yelled at to get a wrench while Saja waits outside to walk her home. <laughs> Saja sits down and goes, I will wait. Tranquil. One with the night. Gong. <laughs> Callie opens the regular shop door, not the big sliding one, and uh, sees Barrick with his jeweler's headset thingy taking pictures of the hot rocks the hot rocks the hot rocks are back and then Callie sort of like eases the door closed but i want to pause for just a moment to acknowledge that the stupid jewel the way that you take the photos with the jeweler's glasses is you have to reach around behind your head it is so stupid yeah it like is. it just needs a button on them or right, something like on like, the side oh jeez anyway so so obvious anyway she says to saja I think we got our Mamba Jamba. I just found what you came for. Gong! (laughs) Cut to the hospital again. Neil is eating a different candy bar and acting like it's the greatest thing he's ever put into his mouth. He crashes on the bed, and in the lobby, Captain Baldy is mumbling and rubbing his Ninja Turtle (laughs) band-aids. Right, in case you forgot about those. Right. (laughs) He pulls out his radio in the lobby and says, Tomorrow we interrogate the patient. He is... A captive audience. (laughs) As he's talking, Dr. FBI guy appears in the background, checks his watch, and heads into Neil's room. He does not seem to notice the dude on the walkie-talkie in the middle of the lobby. And this is a 1992 walkie-talkie, so it's not subtle. It's huge, and it has an enormous, like, three-foot-tall antenna. Yeah. It's a little, uh, conspicuous. Cut to the booth porch. Glory is chatting with JT about how Neil's doing... JT says he wrote a new poem. And he Thank starts God. Yay. He starts reading it to glory. They talk, uh, it's it's comparing their love to a rose. It's it's whatever. Uh, but in the bushes in front of the porch, I like the camera started to pan down and I was like, oh, are we gonna get more baldies? No, it's Sydney copying down every word of the poem. And Sydney is weeping while she does it she has tears pouring down her face (laughs) just weeping it looks so bad but fortunately 
We freeze frame on that <laughs> and roll credits. Oh my god. Oh my What word. a ridiculous episode. Who was our psychopath of the week? I kind of feel like maybe it was Barrick just because he really, like, I mean, he was sort of justified in kicking him out of the shop, but also he, like, really yelled at them like yeah, a crazy man. Yeah, I mean, I'd also, like, I'd also give Garrett some consideration just for how pleased with himself he was. Was, but he, was Jimmy the psychopath of the week for just showing up and dragging Callie off to a dark shop with no explanation? I'd have to say yes. Okay, I'd we're going to say with yes, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy okay. what you doing, bud? Yeah. But Swan count. <laughs> misread the situation. <laughs> uh, only one new fake swan. We spent a lot of time in Mila's bedroom this episode, but we never see the swan on her bed. Wow. I was looking for it. It was weird. So we are at uh, four imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 120 other swans. Um, if I'm doing my math correctly, that's just over like 2.5. That's just under 2.5 swans per episode. Wow. For 50 episodes. Dang. A lot of swans. Yeah. What are your predictions for next week? Okay. I think we get one more or two more episodes with Neil in the hospital. The Baldies are going to try to interrogate Neil. Uh, I'm not... And they're going to pose as doctors so that Neil doesn't know what's going on. Uh, Dr. FBI is going to be searching through Neil's room trying to find Professor Van or information on Professor Van. Sydney is going to give Mila the new poem. Mila's going to love it and get more excited about meeting Chandler. So Sydney is going to try and concoct some way for Mila to see Chandler without meeting Chandler. Like maybe, maybe they do a, maybe they do like a Juliet's balcony sort of scenario. I don't know how they do that with the sets that they have, but I like the idea of like someone being down in the dark below. I don't think we're going to get, there's nothing really interesting going on with Sandy and Owen right now, so I don't think we're going to get any of them. Probably because Neil's going to be in the next episode, JT and Glory are also in the next episode being cute, and we don't, we're not at the point where, where Glory finds out about JT's poetry also going to Mila yet. That's going to, I feel like that's going to drag on for a while. Okay, well, uh, we will find out how correct you were or were not next week on episode 51. 51. 51. We're in the final three weeks. Oh, 15 more episodes to go and, and you don't have to do this ever again. That's great news. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up, sometime from the hit show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod and on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod. Uh, and until we can see one another again, may you always be cooking with the sizzle without the sauce. <laughs> That doesn't count because that's from Gotta Clean Up Sometime. <laughs> okay, we, we can have do to another make an one. actual Swans Crossing reference. <laughs> Until we see each other again, may all your rocks be hot and, <laughs> and may all your spark plugs be changed at 11 30 p.m. Bye. Your nails. Sydney, they're not perfect anymore. Not good. And if ever there was a time you had to be perfect, Sydney, it's now. <laughs> <laughs>